Good evening. In the Old Testament, our text is located tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Before I get to that, I'm going to mention something I did not have time to give Darrell notice about. We received a card from Vicki Tomlinson, and I'll provide this information for you later. She is expressing her gratitude for our prayers during the time of her convalescence from a stroke that she had some time ago. We'll continue to pray for her, and I'll make sure that her contact information is made available to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Two weeks ago tonight, I delivered a sermon on the topic of vows using this text to launch our study. And do not be distracted by the word vows. It is simply about doing what we say, what we promise to God, what we promise to others. It is about integrity. It is about faithfulness in our word. We are children of God. He is faithful. We ought to be reflecting that faithfulness in what we say, keeping our promises, doing what we say. In connection with that study that was about two weeks ago, I said we would come back to Ecclesiastes 5 for a more in-depth treatment of the text. I did some additional study, and tonight I want to treat the passage with an expository approach. And I should like to say to us before I read and before I present the material from Ecclesiastes 5, that I'll recommend that we draw near to listen. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools." Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Let me ask us, let me start this way. When we come to a worship assembly like this morning and again tonight, and when we pray and when we open the Bible for reading and study, do we guard our steps? The first three words of the text, guard your steps. If you have the King James, keep thy foot. If you have the New King James, walk prudently. Now let's talk about that generally, and then we're going to talk about it in a specific way. 
It can be said that in all of our thoughts about God, in all our responses to Him, in our frame of mind when we worship and sing, when we spend time with His Word, we cannot be unintentional and flippant. Serving God cannot just be one of many things in our busy schedule. It must be the singular thing that we are devoted to with all of our hearts and lives. So we're talking now about reverence. And it ought to be reverence that we have for God all the time, knowing who we're dealing with. So it says here to be careful and guard your steps. Avoid distractions from serving God and in your thoughts about Him. Adopt a frame of mind like the prophet Habakkuk expressed in Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. But now the writer goes more specifically to this thought. In the phrase, when you go to the house of God. So generally, we ought to be reverent and respectful toward God in all that we think and say and do. But now the writer takes it to a very specific place. When you go to the house of God. Historical context compels that we think first about the Jews who went to Jerusalem and went to the temple. And in that approach to worship God, they were often told to guard their steps. The law of Moses set forth very specific directions to be followed by the Levites. You may remember when Moses was with God in the mountain receiving the law, the people were told to stay back, to watch their conduct, to have an attitude of reverence, to fear God. Now, Christians today, we are not direct participants in that old covenant system led by the Levites in worship, but in the affection and respect and reverence and fear toward God, that is certainly valid throughout and across dispensational boundaries. Without a doubt, when we come here to worship and study and remember Christ, it is essential for us to know who we are honoring and be careful about our content of mind. Guard your steps. But let us never imagine that there are other times and places away from the building when we can let our guard down, when we can decrease our awareness and consciousness of the power and love and claim that God has on us. So there is a general reverence we ought to have all the time in our respect for God. And then there's a very specific reverence we ought to have that we bring to worship. Keep in mind at the end of this book, Solomon will say, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And at various strategic places in the book, Solomon calls upon us to fear God in all times and in all daily conduct. But there is an intense and specific reverence adaptable to the assemblies to worship. God commands our respect all the time. But when we come here, particularly, there is an attitude we ought to have. 
Draw near to listen. Guard your steps. I must have a tender heart, willing to listen, ready to change. Draw near to listen. As applied to assemblies and collective functions like this, if we just show up or attend or write a check or something, without an attentive and tender heart toward God, Solomon calls that the sacrifice of fools. Guard your steps. Draw near to listen. That's better than offering the sacrifice of fools. So let us think in terms of reverence that we have for God all the time, wherever we are, whoever we are with, whatever the circumstance or location. But then let us think about guarding our steps and drawing near to listen when we assemble for worship. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Similar to this, by the way, is something else from the pen of Solomon in Proverbs 15, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Now verse 2, Ecclesiastes 5. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, this takes us to another specific. This extends that care of heart that we have toward God everywhere, and the care of God that we have when we come to these assemblies. Now, it is specified and extended to our words. I tell you, in our time, people in the world are so quick to just toss around the name of the Lord. Some very bad habits abound, and we may be pulled into them sometimes, of taking the Lord's name in vain using His name in some context that has nothing to do with respecting Him and honoring Him. It should be disturbing to us that there are trifling views and verbal habits about the name of God in some offhand context that doesn't really pertain directly to Him in terms of respect and reverence. In email and social media and blogs, it has become very common for people to use God's name simply to express surprise or excitement. And now it's even just abbreviated, OMG. There are verbal examples of worse than that. I tell you, passages like Ecclesiastes 5 ought to provoke us to thought about such verbal habits. In fact, everything we speak. Solomon wants us to understand that while we're here under the sun, it is essentially and fundamentally vital that God be respected wherever we are, particularly when we come to worship Him and through the words that we speak, remembering that God is in heaven and we are here. So, He is not our equal. He made us in His image. 
He gave us our habitation here on earth. He blesses us. As Ron mentioned several times in the prayer, He sent Christ to redeem us. So all doubt should be removed that we are not equal to Him. He is not our equal. God is in heaven and you on earth. The New Testament ends, as Darrell read, by calling attention to the deity of Jesus Christ as compared to our humanity. Therefore, let your words be few. Don't be rash with your mouth when it comes to God. Form clear concepts of who He is and let your words be few. Use the Word of God to create good, clear concepts of who He is and then think about who we are. Let your mouth be governed by those righteous and holy concepts. Each one here needs this. Now, the rest of this from verse 3 down through verse 7, Solomon takes us further into this matter of care about God wherever we are and when we worship and about our speech and about our heart. Leading to this imperative, God is worthy of the highest esteem. Listen from verse 3 to verse 7 and listen carefully to how it's all going to terminate at verse 7 with a concluding statement. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity... But, here's the conclusion, God is the one you must fear. See, in this, there's one main idea. I'm always talking about one main idea. Forming such high and rich awareness of who God is, that your words are measured, and your steps are measured when you come to worship. And when you make a promise... You take it seriously, just as seriously as God expects His children to have integrity. One of the most dangerous habits is to make promises to God on an impulse, in an emergency, with little thought about who He is and who we are. We think of someone in some dangerous situation of risk. The typical example is, that somebody is in some situation where they think they're just about to die and they make all kinds of promises. Lord, if you just get me out of this, I'll devote the rest of my life to you. I'll double my contribution. I'll convert a hundred people next year. I'll give all that I have to the poor. Solomon says, stop and think now what you're saying. Because when you get out of the emergency zone... You have to look back at promises you've made. And if you make a promise, don't dismiss it or forget it, or worse, deny that you said it. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And then I like this part of verse 6. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. In Hebrew culture, this was an idiomatic expression, meaning something resident in that culture and language. And the idea is... 
When someone comes to hold you to account for what you said, don't open your mouth and start making excuses. Don't let the excuses flow through your lips. Don't tell the messenger, oh, I was mistaken. Don't provoke God, Solomon says. Remember, God is in heaven and you are on earth. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. When dreams increase, the NIV says much dreaming. See, the words come from here. And if you just reach in your mind and pick a bunch of words out of your dreams and let them flow, you're liable to get yourself in trouble with the Creator. Solomon, in beautiful Hebrew eloquence, has taken us to this. God is the one you must fear. What do we make of this for us today? We've studied the text in its historical setting. What do we make of this for us today? Quickly, I want to make four points. We must recognize the difference between deity and humanity, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Now, I do not believe this is just a matter of location. We sometimes use gestures, and we need to clarify them. Sometimes we'll talk about God and us. But this is not just a matter of location. In view of everything Solomon has said in this context, this has to do with reverence and care that we have before the Creator, recognizing that He is the Creator and we are the created God is God and man is man. We need to be clear about it. To rely on other biblical teaching, you could say it in several other ways. <clears throat> you could say, the potter is not the same as the clay. The father is not the same as his children. Deity in power and nature is not the same as humanity. We need to be clear about all that. We really cannot navigate life under the sun if we're not clear about who God is and who we are. So-called New Age religion, you may hear about. I heard about it a whole lot more in the 90s, but you may hear it every now and then. It blurs the distinction between God and man. And some modern religions have a New Age worldview, and they imply that man is God, or man can become God, or one religion will say man is God, but he just doesn't know it. <laughs> this is one of the many passages that reminds us of our human status. God is in heaven. We are here on earth. Sacrifice is insufficient if not accompanied by listening, learning, and living. Sacrifice alone is insufficient if not accompanied by listening, learning, and living. I tell you, the Israelites had trouble with this over and over again. And over and over again, the prophets rebuked them about it. The Israelites would go through the rituals and offer the bloody sacrifices and engage in all the specified acts of worship but in their daily lives, they were not listening and learning and living unto God. 
Solomon says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, talks about the well-meaning religious person who likes a good song and turns up cheerfully enough to a church service now and then, but who listens with half an ear and never quite gets around to volunteering to do what God expects him to do. That's the idea. Sacrifice alone is insufficient if not accompanied by listening and learning and living. Number three, repeating what I said earlier, watch what you say before God. And here's the way I could word that point. I could say, watch what you say. But I'm going to say it, watch what you say, because everything you say is before God. Back of that, concerning the dreams mentioned in Ecclesiastes 5, everything you think is before God, even before you say it, or if you never say it. I think this might be a good place to just talk about that connection between what's here and what comes out here. So if I want to better manage what comes out here, that management must begin here. When we make promises, those promises came from somewhere. Where did they come from? Should we spend more time deliberating over the promises before we speak them? I think Solomon is making that point. Watch what you say before God. We must be very serious about everything we think and everything we say. It's all before God, though Solomon is emphasizing the promises that we make. And then number four. This goes to the essence of Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7. And it may go well to the essence of Ecclesiastes when you factor in the last concluding statement. Stand in awe of God. Now, that's an underlying theme of the entire book. It's an underlying theme of the entire book. Look at the last two words in verse 7. Fear God. God is the one you must fear. Later in this marvelous book, Solomon will tell us what life in general is all about. And he will say, fear God and keep His commandments. Well, here in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, we have this commentary on what it means to fear God in regard to worship and promises. In regard to worship and promises, Solomon talks to us about what it means to have reverence for God. Listen again. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. 
To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So think of this as a daily discipline. A daily discipline that involves what we've studied. Knowing the difference between deity and humanity. Listening, learning, and living. Guarding our steps. Being careful about what we say. Standing in awe for God is the one you must fear. Let's stand as we sing. So